Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I overheard a conversation between between a group of, you know... Of what? Balangi kids. Yeah. They shared the specific words of, you know, if you're in your 40s and your 50s and you're still cleaning, what are you doing with your life? And who say that? I just heard, overheard that. Yeah. And I was just like, I thought of you because it just was a pit in my stomach when I heard that because... You think of your mum. We're your hosts, Julie and Sarade. We travelled around Aotearoa with our Soundie Joey meeting immigrant whānau, listening to stories and discovering what is said or not said between different generations. These stories warmed our hearts and broke our hearts. And over this series, we invite you two to listen in on conversations with my immigrant parents. This episode of the podcast, we're with Lena and Albert Fairbrother in Nainai, Lower Hutt. Albert has half-sisters, but he grew up as the only child of Lena and his dad, who is also called Albert. Lena grew up in Samoa, and she came to Aotearoa in her 20s. We recorded this episode just after a pretty pivotal day for Albie, his last day at Otago University, where he'd been living, away from Lena, for the last four years. Yeah, it was really special to be in Otipoti for such an important day. It was clear that Albert is so important to so many people he studied and lived with, and we got to meet some of them when they threw him a surprise farewell. The day after that, we flew to Wellington to meet Lena and sit with the two of them while they talked about Albert Senior and what the last few years of their lives have been like. My son's name is Albert William Longoifitile Mapotai Ifea brother, and I call him Albert. My son is 22 years old now. My son loves people. And he is a people's person. And he loves speaking in front of big crowd. And he always got the confidence to do that. He's my world. And he is my everything. And he means a lot to me. My mum's name is Violina Asavale Febrero. She is 58 years old. And uh, she's the love of my life. I've never met anyone so unconditionally just available to anyone and everyone. Uh, she was just someone that people go to if they need something. And that's translated a lot to my life. Yeah, she's just someone that a lot of people look up to without even having to try. And I think that's a powerful thing. I came in 1986 in August. Back home, every young girl's dream is to come to New Zealand. But when I do come, I did not realise that you have to be up so early to go to work. If you're not working, you're not getting anything. You're not surviving. And that's why my dreams of me coming to New Zealand 
to help the family back home. When I got the job, it's very hard. Very hard because I hardly understand English. I'm too scared to face people. It's not just the Samoan people. It's all different people working there. My first job is I have to start at 6 o'clock in the morning. So I have to be up at 5, get ready, leave the house before 6. In the rain, cold, and I have no choice. Because the family, mum and dad, they rely on us here. And that's what I was doing till the time I met your dad. So you're excited to come to New Zealand, but you miss Samoa? Yes, because it's a different life, you know, life here. Because Samoa, it's, it's free. You can walk around, do your own thing, not like here. So I came in 85, or in 86, pardon me. I live with Uncle Mayava, and I've got a job in Upper Heart as well. Doing what? I was working at the laundry. Okay. And when the place closed down, they moved to Batoni. So, you know, by the time you moved to Batoni, you know, you're working at the laundry still in Upper Heart? Or by then, had you already moved to Unilever's? No, I work at the laundry at Batoni. Okay. Then I've got a part time job at Unilever. And that's where you met Dad? That's where I met my honey. <laughs> that's where I met him. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> See, now, it's just funny because you say honey now, but you tell me, and you, you God rest his soul, the man can't defend himself, but, you know, you say, you say that what? <laughs> he was working security, eh? That's great. And, uh, <laughs> and you were just, you know, going by your business and what, you would always see the old man looking at you? Just, um, you know. Oh, you really want to know that? Yes, you know, well, 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 what was that? <laughs> well, you know, I work eight hours at the laundry, then I've got a four, uh, six hours at night time. Work with uh, Nia. Yeah. And we walk in there with my long hair, two ponytails. <laughs> yeah. I saw a man sitting at the gate. I didn't speak because it's my first night, but Nia knows him well. I walked first and my eyes caught him go like, who's that? Who's that? Like that? <laughs> so Nia said to me, oh, that man, ask me who you are. And I looked and I said, ooh, <laughs> he's old. <laughs> how, old yeah. were, how old were you then? I was 31 going to 32. So he would have been, what, 58? Something like that. <laughs> yeah, and then so yeah, so that's definitely not love at first sight. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you guys first talk? First time, son, I look at him and I was thinking, no, he's not my type. That's the truth. We did not see each other maybe five, six months. Okay. So around that time, I finished from Unilever, and I do the cleaning at the main office, the TAP at Petoni. So I was walking to do my job, and he was on his way to town to work. And he stopped the car suddenly. And I turned around, it was him, and he said, where were you? And I said, why? But I haven't seen you. So I'm always around, I'm busy. I'm around, I'm everywhere. <laughs> That's when we start again. We got married in 95. Yeah. 
Mm. Was it hard? Because you said that Dad is only six months younger than Papa. Yeah, that's correct. Was it hard? Was there, like, you know, obviously a lot of Samoan-ness is all about image, eh? Yeah, that's true. You're right there. Mm. So how was that? I talked to Mum and Dad, and the first thing Dad said, how old is he? I told him. <laughs> did what did he say? Did he say, no, not how old am I, how old is he? <laughs> and I said, how old is he? I told Dad. Two uncles were there, Uncle Sui and Uncle Mayawa, they were there. Dad said, oh, how old? It's like he's repeating the question. Maybe he didn't hear me properly. Oh, or maybe he heard you. He heard yeah, you. he heard me all right, he and he just want to know for sure. <laughs> and, and I said, Dad, that's how old he is. Uncle Mayava said, he's too old for you. Look for another one. I look at him and I say, you're not looking for a husband, for my one? That's what I, in my mind. Yeah, and so then, what came out of your mouth? <laughs> no, I just hold back. <laughs> I just hold back and, uh, and Uncle Sui said to me, Lena, you pick and choose who you want to be. If he's old, deaf, blind, as long as he loves you. Oh, my gosh. That's what Uncle Sui said. Wow. I said to myself, stuff you guys, I will marry him. <laughs> yeah, and I did. We got married in 95. We have a couple stories in this series where the younger migrant woman and mother got married to a much older man who grew up in this country, in Aotearoa, and it does change the trajectory of her life so much, eh, Mm. in every instance. I have a lot of admiration for, I mean, everyone that we make this podcast with, but I really think that these women balance so many things at once. They are managing, adapting to a new country, to a new language, to new social norms and social expectations. They're raising their children. A lot of the time in these stories, these mothers are taking on more of the traditional gender roles. And I think their kids might not be, might not grow up so beholden to or aware of them. So might not enact them in their own lives. Um, I just am in awe of how many different jobs so many of these mums have to do and of how many parts they had to play at such a young age. Yeah, and I think because the podcast is called Conversations with My Immigrant Parents, but it's so different when you have parents who are both immigrants and they have each other as a support system versus when you're alone and you're feeling that isolation while still having to raise your family keep up traditions, culture, language. Mm. And I also wonder if it's flipped and if the immigrant parent is male or the dad, how that intersection of gender and race hits differently, gender roles maybe in the household. If the age was flipped as well. If it was an older dad. Woman, an older mum and a younger dad. It's so funny how we can't even picture that, eh? Because of how ingrained our thought processes are. Yes. So here Albie and Lena talk about their household and what it was like for Albie growing up with parents from quite different cultures. Married to a white man, married to Albert, I'm a Samoan and he's a Kiwi. And it's never changed my life. When we were at home, I have to respect him. 
when my brother, my siblings come into our house before you're born, we will never speak in Samoan. We always speak in English because I have to respect your dad. But if your dad's not home, yeah, we can carry on with our own language. And I explain the Samoan culture, and I say to your dad, I do not force you to my culture, but you have to learn, you have to understand, because I understand his one. But for him, he has to understand my one. Do you feel like that's up to him to at least try to learn the Samoan language? You know, if we're talking second languages here, for you, you had to adhere to a you know a Western culture and learning English is part <clears throat> of that. Well, the thing is, I don't know how he feel when we all speak Samoan while he's there. I don't know what is in his mind, just in case he thinks we are very rude. It's his house. So when they come, I told them, when you come, and my husband was here, we all talk in English, and we did. Why? Because it's it's hard, you know. He's not a fast learner in the Samoan language. It's just a few words he knows, but not, or how are you? It takes a long time for him to remember. I only think about that because for Samoans and for a lot of Pacific Island communities, you know, you stick within your own, so was there, was family ever like, oh, why are you from? Oh. You're kidding me. Were they ever wondering why? Like after you got him married, did they change to him or would they, did they like him? After we got married, you know, your dad has been loved by my sibling, by your uncle. They love your dad. They always respect him. And they never say brother-in-law. They always, uncle, they always call him brother. You know the one way. When we had a kid together, we have lunch, they eat last. Uncle always tell your dad to sit on a table with mum and dad. Because of the age, they, they respect him. And that is the most important thing, and I am so thankful that I've got, you got uncles that they got heart, I've got brothers that they understand. Because they could easily have gone the other way. Yes, so your dad has been loved by the family, by my brothers and sisters. They love him, they adore him. With Dad, like, do you see how he was? When he got sick, I just saw him change mm. a lot. A lot. And he just became so bitter. It's true. And, and, mm. and like, it was so heartbreaking because here's the man that I idolised. The man would take me to, to rugby training and he'd pick me up from school. And when he got sick and realised that, and I don't know, maybe this is that masculinity, that men, you know, man, dignity. But when he had to realise that he wasn't as strong as he thought he was, it was so hard to see because here's me just, I idolised him. We would go to a Samoan gathering, like a you know, family going out or something. We'd come home at 8 o'clock and he'd be like, oh, you guys mm-hmm. just left me all day. Yeah, it's it's It's, it's sad. sad. It's, it's sad. sad. But yeah. like, yes, I understand. It's kind of, you know, hard to navigate. Do you miss him? Yeah, do you know why I miss him? Because I... Don't you remember what he sounds like now? Um, I don't. 
Five years November 10th, eh? I can't even remember what his voice sounds like. I look at you and ever since Dad got sick, 2008, aorta rupture, 3% chance of surviving the operation, he did. And as much as it hurts me to say, sometimes I feel like he wish he went with the operation. I, I genuinely believe that. Sometimes he changed. He changed, and I don't think he was happy with his life after that. Mm. It would be every couple of months he'd be like, oh, you know, just put me in a home. As much as I know for you, that would destroy you because that's not how Samoans do it. No. Just put me in a home, just forget about me, just let me go. You know, and... He always say that. How do you think it made me feel as a 13, 14-year-old that my dad didn't even want to be in this house? Uh. This is literally the first time I've said this to you because I resent some of the actions he did. I'm just disappointed because that's not what I want to think about when I think of his memory, but that's the first thing I go to because that's the lasting image that I have in my head. After he had the big operation, I don't think he enjoyed the rest of it. Yeah, and it was hard because that put so much stress on you. Those were not good years for you. It got to the point where he went from being your husband to being your patient because you looked after him like a doctor would. I did this my life for 20 years. Year go past and I miss him. I come home by myself at home. There's no one to talk to. And in other hands, I'm happy that he's rest because he's been through a lot. Because remember when your dad was around, it's I always end up to the hospital because the stress and the worries I have. You know, you're at school and I'm at work and I don't know if he's okay at home or things like that. He's gone. My life, it's easy. You know, you have to move on. And I've got another one to worry about, it's you. I really appreciate how honest Lena and Albie are able to be when they talk about losing Albie's dad, you know, because I think that it can be really hard once someone has passed to openly talk about the not-so-easy times, mm. but also that acknowledging that the fullness of someone's life is really important, and we see through this, you know, how much... Lena gave and how she just took care of him. It's also so sad hearing that she really misses coming home to someone. Mm. And none of that love is diminished by saying that it was really hard. No. As we've said, Albie recently completed his BA majoring in Media and Pacific Island Studies and he aced his first ever interview before he'd even finished uni and got a graduate development role at the Ministry of Primary Industries, MPI, writing policy for the government. When he starts, he'll be in the same building Lena has been working in as part of the cleaning staff for the last 10 years. You know, son, where I work, Ministry, Primary Industrial. I work there 12 hours. I do my eight hour shift the day and then I look after the cleaning at night time. I've got 14 staff. The majority of my staff are students. They study at Big Uni. 
I look at them, it reminds me of you. So I always give them a chance. When they ask me that, it's the exam. They say that they can apply for leave, and I said, you just take studying. He said, why do you always do that? And I said, I have a son. And I know he's been through like what you guys are. So study hard. I talk to them like I talk to you. And they always listened. I said, you know you're coming all the way from Malaysia, from Korea, to study in New Zealand, so don't waste a day, don't waste a year. Make sure you take something back to your parents. When you first came to New Zealand, you were them. You were them and you were the ones that had the broken English with a chance to, you know, just make money. I look at them and I was thinking, I was once like that, scared to speak because of the language. I told them, you know, when I first came to New Zealand, I was like you. I just find it interesting because, you know, I was, and this happened not long ago, I was, you know, just down south and I overheard a conversation between two, um, between a group of, you know, of what? Balangi kids. Yeah. They said the specific words of, you know, if you're in your 40s and your 50s and you're still cleaning, what are you doing with your life? And who say that? I just heard, overheard that. Yeah. I thought of you because the one thing that you always told me is if I had education in New Zealand, I would have gone to university and I would have gotten a good job. But you weren't afforded the education in New Zealand, so, you know, you have to work these kind of jobs. You're dead right there. I did say that to you. You did? Yeah, I did. And for me, it just, like, was a pit in my stomach when I heard that because, you You know, think of your mum? I think of you because I know that you love your job. I do. People look down on what you do. Do you know what I tell my team? What do you tell them? And even the people at MPI? I told people at MPI, my team, we are VIP people. And they look at me and I say, we are very important people. Without us, who's going to clean your mess? They laugh and I say, yeah, maybe you're not taking it serious, but for me, without Lena, who's going to clean the building? And it's true. And I say to them, you know, when my son studied at St. Patrick, you always say to me, Mum, I'm on a bus. Go on a crown at Tata College and wave. You always say, remember? Yeah. And I always do that. I remember you saying, oh, the boys at college said to you, what's your mum doing? And you said, oh, she's a cleaner. And they're giving you that look. And I said to you, I hold your hand. I remember I said to you, son, my job is very important to me. I'm not ashamed because it's pay the bills, buy the food, and I do it with passion. Because I'm a cleaner and I'm so happy to call myself a cleaner. So I'm a VIP person. I'm just so happy that you love what you do. I love what I'm doing, son. I do. I think this is such a great part of this conversation, of this episode. I love the way Lena sees her job and sees herself. 
I really, really love the strong stance that Lena takes in seeing like absolutely no shame in being on the cleaning staff. Mm. And there are so many jobs that are performed by immigrant women in particular who work almost like invisibly to keep our country and our systems running. And I think so often people see these jobs as lesser than. But I think that's also because a lot of the time these positions like although they're essential work they receive the minimum wage yeah like who told us that these jobs don't matter exactly i mean every part of what keeps all of us going should be valued and important yes we somehow have been raised in the system that makes us think in simplistic and hierarchical ways yes and view manual labor as 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 like the bottom yes and that the goal is to somehow get to the top as yes. far away from that as possible. Yeah, which is where you don't do any work. <laughs> so Albie's decision to go and study in Dunedin was not an easy one, especially after his dad passed away. And Albie and Lena talk here about what impact his years of study have had on the two of them and some of the things that they see differently. You know, your first year down at Dunedin, how do you feel? Were you homesick? Were you... Yeah, I was homesick. I think something that I struggled with more was when you're down there where, you know, there's not many Samoans down there, it's hard to feel like you can display that Samoan culture. My childhood was very based around Pacifica ideals of, you know, family and religion. I've only literally been to church in Dunedin once since I went here. That was when you came down at the start of the year. And this is the only time I went to church in my time in Dunedin. But why is that? Because I'm just so busy studying and just living my life that I forgot to put God first. And that's sad. That's sad. So you're saying you've been away for four years, you've only been one in church the day I came down. Yeah. I was sad. <laughs> yeah. The one thing that I just really struggled with my entire life was the idea of the word that I really, really hate. I really hate the word fiapalaki. If I make a decision that's not totally within the Samoan idea of family and you know, lifestyle and culture and religion. It's like, oh, that's your white side coming out, eh? And who's that? Just people, you know, people. You've even done it before. Yeah, what? Yeah, but, but, you know, hear me out. Like, how can I feel like I have any sort of identity when one part of my identity I don't even relate to and the other one is making me feel bad for being another half that I can't even control? You know? I can't control that I'm half Kiwi, half Samoan. Oh, well, you've got a mind of your own. But sometimes I feel like the Samoan culture, you don't learn to have a mind of your own. You have you learn to have a mind of one collective. Oh, no. Not in my house. Not in our house. You are growing up. You go, you make your own decision. Yeah, I think you're really wrong about that. Because everything about Samoan culture is for the betterment of the family. It's yeah, not about the individual. I don't really see it much in this family, but, you know, you see a lot in Samoan culture, you know. They don't listen to you just because you're young. Well, it's all... It's so all with age comes status, and for me, that's wrong. 
I think it's it it's all depends in how the upbringing of the families, different family, different ways they do their stuff. Mm. Yeah. You're right because uh, you know I've seen some other families. It's like the older one control the young ones, the older one that runs the family. But and let's be honest, when I wanted to go to university, there were some people that weren't. Yeah, that's correct. They weren't happy with my decision. But you know, they talked to me about it. What but did they, they say? They only concerned about because your dad passed away, and they hear you're going down to the needing. They say to you, "You're going and leaving your mum because they think of my welfare." And uh, so I talked to them and I said... They didn't think about my future. So I talked to them and I said, look, I told my son, do not let me hold you back. Did I say that to you? Yeah, Yeah, I did say that to you. I said, you go study because I'm not going to be around here forever. I want to make sure that you have a good future, get a good job. So I told them, I'm okay. I'm not holding you back because of me. I don't think there's any parts of a Samoan culture that I want to leave behind because... Yeah, I just... Yeah, yeah, I I think a lot of things could be left behind. So tell me, what are they? Um, For, you know, for Pacific Islanders in general, they... uh, So let's talk about our family. What can be To make me understand. The Samoan culture, families, yeah, family dynamics are different, but they all point towards the same thing. It's either all about money, all about religion, or all about the older generation. That's all it is. And for me, I struggle because I don't care about money and I don't care about, you know, for us, we don't have the privilege of, uh, don't mind my sarcasm there, of the tithing. You know, like at church, you know, you, you know your donations and that. I've seen a lot of toxic churches like that. Yeah. People are embarrassed and people are working to what? To give money towards, you know, church. And, you know, I understand that just because it's not my family dynamic. If you are looking towards only involving the opinions of the older people, you're looking towards the past instead of looking towards the future. How can you expect us to be flourishing individuals in a country that's working against us if you don't give us an opportunity to even voice our own opinion? You know, I got a lot of shit for leaving home. You know, a lot of my cousins, they still stay home, and that's absolutely fine. But, like, how can you learn about living life if you're going to be stuck in the whole idea of, you know, saving your parents, living home until, you know, you know, they pass through? And for me, I serve you and I help with bills when I'm studying. For me, I'm doing it from a distance. When, you know, your parents pass away and you're in your 30s and 40s, you've... You, Half your life's already gone, and you don't even get, understand what it's like to live life because mm. you've been caught up in the idea of living a Samoan life. This isn't Samoa. The I- ideal goal, and I know for a lot of the older generation, is to prepare f- to go back to Samoa in their later life. But how can you guys leave Samoa and leave your kids in a position where they still probably don't even know how to? how to live their own life as an individual. You know, like I see that uh, I left when I was 23, but all that time, you know, as you know, mum and dad don't have, did, did not work, and it's nine of us. So, and all of us go to school, college, high school. 
we've seen, you know, early hours of the morning, it's, they struggle. They have to sell stuff to the market to get money for our fare and bills and things like that. In my mind, I will really want to help them. So I come here, I work, work hard. We send money to Samoa to help mum and dad to pay for the rest of the siblings for their school. So would you say that you left Samoa a decision to grow as an individual and something to do for yourself or something for the family? For myself and for the family, it's both. So how, have you, how was that decision for yourself though, if everything you did was for the family? That is the main reason why I do come here, to help my family, to have a future here. You know, like I said to you before, uh, I'm proud of you because, you know, I can see you speak your mind, you make your own decision, you know, and that's you, and I can't change you for that. I think it's really telling how when Albie's questioning Lena about, you know, is that a decision for yourself as an individual or, or is that a decision for your family? that Lena really sees those things as the same, like there's no difference whether decisions were made for herself or the family because they are one and the same. Whereas for Albie, it feels like more of a dilemma and a balancing act and it feels like something that he's kind of battling with and that's probably because just the society that we live in, which is more monocultural and normalises individual pursuits rather than collective yeah the collective Mm. and or just separating those as two separate choices or directions to go in Mm. and I was thinking even like how we see politics as left and right that it's individual versus collective or that it's collective versus individual but you know there isn't that binary from Lena's perspective from that Samoan worldview you can really hear that Albie is unable to see doing something for the family as being a way of operating, a way of moving forward, because for him, doing something for the family always meant sacrificing what he wanted and going against what he felt was best. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really true, that maybe for lots of immigrant kids that Mm. we see because of the values we're raised with, that anything that helps the family is a personal sacrifice. Like seeing it as a sacrifice versus seeing it as... Uplifting multiple people as well as yourself. Exactly. I don't know, this this is hard for me to feed back to because I feel like I'm so deeply entrenched in the individual over the collective. In, In that Western worldview. Yeah. Yeah same even when you're aware of it and it's like you want to be Mm. towards the collective I don't know am I speaking for you yeah I am a wannabe socialist (laughs) this next part of the episode Albie and Lena talk more about what they find hard to talk about particularly their different views on mental health there's stuff that I can't talk to you about like what like uh, mental health I can't talk to you about that you can talk to me about mental health. You're back here. So I, no, I, I want... Do you know why I can't, though? Because the minute that I bring it up, you get so upset because you can't imagine your son being anything other than so strong. And for me, I've been vulnerable down there a lot. You now when I was failing papers, just going through a lot, especially like in the last this semester when the going passed away, it was very hard. 
being away from the family and the idea that I was, you know, going to be the, a grandchild to graduate and show him something that he's never seen before, you know. And he passed away two months before I could show him. And I couldn't come to you because I was down there and there were days that I don't even want to study. I didn't want to open my books because it was just... He was the main reason why I did all of this. And do you know why I I keep saying that to you? Because that's what Papa wants. So I, I encourage you because, like I always say to you, I, I sleep there close to work. And we had prayer every night. And Dad always blessed you. Yeah, um, I don't know, maybe for me it's, I'm just angry and upset that he couldn't wait a bit longer. I can't be selfish like that because at the end of the day, you lost your parent. That's a lot different from me losing a grandparent. Now you've lost both parents, I've only lost one, so so what you've gone through with that, I don't know how you're feeling. Do you want to know how I feel? Yeah. Hurt. Yeah? But I won't show it. Why? I know you're upset. But that's what I said to you, son, that study hard and try to finish because that's what Papa wants. Papa always wants you to finish and graduate. You know, I keep saying that to you, but my heart aches. It's hard for me to talk to you because you won't talk back to me. Because mental health isn't just for young people, you know, for you, I, I, you know, dad's gone, papa's gone. To me, I just don't want to talk about it because if I do talk about it to you, it hurts me a lot. It hurts. Why can you be the shoulder for me to cry on, but I can't be the shoulder for you? Because, you know, you're all that I've got. That's why I'm glad you're back. I am, because I missed you so much when you're away. I do, especially when you go back after we buried Papa. It's uh, it hurts. It's really, really hurts because I came to an empty house, and I look at look at your dad and mum and dad's gone, and and I'm by myself and you're down there. So that's why I'm thankful that you finished. I do. I'm so thankful that you finished your four years. Even though your papa did not wait for you, but I'm pretty sure that he's happy. That's why I said to you, study hard. Study hard because that's what your papa wants. The point Albie makes about mental health isn't just for young people, I think is really poignant and also how he wants to be the shoulder for his mum to cry on and not always thinking of it as the reverse. We're often so consumed about how mental health affects us as individuals that we don't see how it affects our wider 
community and family, especially those of our parents and grandparents' generation. Like, we just don't know how to approach talking about those issues. Yes. I don't even think it's just for immigrant families, really. Yeah, I agree. It adds another element, but yeah. I think we should also acknowledge that Lena's approach, which is not talking about it, is a way of protecting both Albie and herself as his mother. As well as a form of not re-traumatising herself? Herself, yes. And maybe that mental well-being doesn't look like the same thing for everyone. Yeah. That it might not be talking about the painful past, but focusing on the future and the present. I definitely agree that the way we see mental health and approaches to good mental health can be from quite a parkier lens of Mm. talking about your feelings. Mm. A healthy mental well-being can look like lots of other different strategies as well. Yes. Son, you're finished. You're going to be graduated at the end of the year and now you've got a job to go to. My hopes for you is live your life healthy. Enjoy every single day. I always say that to you. You never know what's going to happen today or tomorrow. And in the future, I want you to have a family. If you're tired, take one step at a time. Relax. Don't overdo it. You have to enjoy for me, I want to catch up on lost time with you. Of course, we do. Four years, I want to... We do things together. Yeah, exactly. Like how we used to. Like, if you ask anyone, I'm a mama's boy, hey. Oh, that's what everyone say. Yeah, and... Of course you are. I want to, like, do things like... I don't think we've ever eaten at a restaurant before. My first paycheck, I want to take you to a restaurant. Son... My home is your home. We're here. You know, my home is New Zealand where you are. And we're going to live happily here. Mm. We're about a 10-minute walk from the cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> we are... The rest of my home is, you know, the rest of my heart, my soul, people that influence me so much you know so my home is wherever you are because although you are all that I have left you're all that I've needed for a long time the idea of home isn't you know a house or you know a building but it was the representation of you letting me go because you knew that I would find my way back to you eventually and that's exactly what I've done you know when your first year you come around October, it's the happiest time for me when you come back. And when you go, it's the saddest time for me. Four years, you did it. You come back, you're not going back. I don't know what's your plan, but we struggle together and we make it through. I love you. I love you, son.
just a beautiful it's end. A lovely end. <laughs> He's come back four years, and they've got so much time to catch up on. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, they're going to be working together. Yeah, and Albie can treat his mum, take yeah. her out for that dinner he promised. <laughs> Yeah, thank you both so much, Albie and Lena, for welcoming us into your home, into your whare, for showing us the pictures of your family on the walls, for taking us to the cemetery where they lay. To Albie for letting us accompany him on his last day at Otago University. Such an emotional day. Yeah. And we just feel really honoured to have met you and to have been a small part of your journey. And I hope you guys had a nice dinner. You can check out photos and videos of all our families on Facebook at Where Are You From Really, Instagram at Combos With My, and on RNZ's website. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was created, produced, and directed by Julie Zhu and Saray De Silva. Location recording by Joey Siasoko. Studio recording by Jill Eda Cray at The Secret Beehive. And sound edited and mixed by Emmy Pagoni. Our cover image is illustrated by Ngamutani Jones at Miss Memo and designed by Sonia Milford. A huge thanks also to Kay Elmers and Tim Burnell from RNZ Commissioning. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. He called Nai 